Welcome to Four Corners. We are back with another episode. I am one of your hosts, Ray. You can find me online at Ray1Hackshaw on Twitter. You can find uh, my guy, Peter, fresh off of a uh, little uh, rejuvenation. Is it surgery, technically? No, no, no. I didn't have surgery. I just had a epidural injection, you know, get my back feeling a little better. So, uh, you know, get th- getting things cleaned up in the offseason. You know how we love backs here on... Here in the Nuggets community, we love we love back. Oh yeah, I mean, we got a lot of a lot of back talk. Uh, yes, within the yes, team, a lot of back as, talk. As you guys know, you can find him at Bucket since '88, and we're also joined by our producer, our hero, our champion, Jarrett. How are you doing? Doing good. I always appreciate the intros, Ray. No problem. No problem. It's cooler in Denver now. I know Peter. You know, not even know this, but I when I left, pretty hot. Pretty hot. I've been out of town for a few days, and I came back expecting, not, not you know, not not the seven seven circles of hell, but it was hot, and, and now I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty happy. It's pretty comfortable. You know what's funny about that is today was the first day in my life when I was excited to be back in the New Orleans heat because the hospital I was in, it was like polar bear ice cold. I mean, oh yeah. They asked me for a blanket when I got in there. So it's like they know it's cold. I don't really know what the reasoning is for all that. But yeah, my poor wife is there with me, like sitting in the corner, like huddled up like this, blanket wrapped around her. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, they took it forever. I didn't get wheeled in for like an hour, but hey, it's all good. I, I think that's most of it. I, I feel like it's just easier for people to put on blankets than it is for someone who's too hot to right. un, unheat themselves. For in sure. that way but uh so we're here with a kind of solemn episode you know and of course no one died but you know my mind my heart my spirit my soul to some extent are you know with serbia and their what was their quest for your basket gold and that's no longer happening which is unfortunate um first things first i I just, I'm just in pain. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's cerebral illness. It's bowl season. Like I, I just think about all the possible ways the uh, teams that could have taken the Nuggets out of this tournament. Italy was not one of them. Italy was not even just on my list as far as you know possible outcomes. And and maybe to some extent it wasn't for Serbia's either. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how how difficult the, the group stage has been for some teams and not so much for others. Uh, so I'll, I'll pose to you, Peter, first. How much do you feel like the sort of trap game factor led into, into what happened? Uh, I actually don't think that Serbia was overlooking Italy at all. I think they just played a bad second half, and I thought Italy caught fire. Um. You know, it's it's definitely unfortunate if you're a Serbia fan. You know, I was bummed to see Jokic go out. I'm sure all of our Serbian brothers are really upset over the loss, as you would imagine, if you care about sports. You know, and unfortunately, this is this can happen. You know, in the ups and downs of sports, it's like when you're in a single elimination tournament, strange things can happen. I mean... You know, you played high school ball, 
I played high school ball and, you know, it's a similar style. Once you get to the playoffs, it's, it's one and done. So, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what kind of team you have going in, everybody usually has a goal of like how far they want to get or think they can get. And oftentimes you don't get that far. And it's, it's a shock when you lose early. And, uh, you know, Serbia, they lost way earlier than they thought they would. So it's tough, you know, I, and, and a part of me was like, man, if this was the NBA, uh, you lose game one, I firmly believe that Serbia would have come back strong and, you know, won game two and we'd have a series, but that's just not the format. So it's a tough pill to swallow. You know, I don't think it was all for naught. I thought they had a great group stage. There were a lot of cool moments. You know, we got to see Jokic get better. Um, you know, and then Silver Linings, I mean, they didn't have their whole team. Uh, I do feel like Bogdanovich would help. And then in future years, Jovic will help. So it, it definitely hurts now. But I don't think we've seen the last of, of seen Team Serbia being a, a contender. Jerry, are you, are you like a Jovic guy at all? Uh, from the little bit I've seen, yeah. Yeah, he definitely seems like a player. Um, and I think kind of what Peter was working towards was really having a couple more guys that are on that level and on that caliber would make a world of difference because, as, as you know, I don't want to be disrespectful to the Serbian players that are playing over in Europe. But, I mean, we've seen what Bogdanovic can do for years if he was healthy. And and Jovic just seems like a different level of athlete than a Lucic or a Marinkovic. And maybe, I, maybe I'm just seeing it completely wrong, but I think that really would have helped Serbia personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree. I feel like this Serbia team in a lot of ways has been one that's focused a lot in, in the way it's hung its hat defensively. You know, these are guys that are hard-nosed guys. They're focused on, um, you know, and, and a lot of what I think Pesic was focusing, focusing on when he brought this team together was how can I build a team around Jokic, around Mitic, that's going to be able to defend and rebound and do the little things. And I, I appreciate that. And I think that's super important and valuable. And I hope uh, by and large, most of those players are back the next time this, uh, this Serbian national team is together. But I also feel like, you know, if this is a team of maybe they're not as athletic as Aaron Gordon, but if this is like a team of Aaron Gordon's, you need like a, you need a Michael Porter. You need like Aaron, you need a, well, Aaron Gordon became more than Aaron Gordon at some point in terms of perimeter shooting. But I think that kind of thing, like having a little bit of secondary playmaking, a little bit more when Jokic can kick out to guys um, that are going to just, just make that open shot, just in the same way that I think about that, like LeBron Jokic comparison, right? Where LeBron, you know, he can bring you 98% of the way there, but you need a Kyrie who's going to make that, whatever that big shot is going to be that, you know, gives you enough, just, just calms you down a little bit and lets you believe that um, you're still going to be able to bring this one home. Well, at least in, in my imagination, that's exactly the role Bogdanovich would have been able to provide is uh, kind of that release valve. When the system isn't working, when your offense isn't working, what you're trying to do isn't happening, and you just need to give the ball to someone who's going to make make a shot or create his own offense, get to the line or something, That's those are all things that Bogdanovich could do. And even if it wouldn't have turned the Italy loss to a win, per se, I pro- probably would have. But 
even if it didn't, it would have definitely been able to stem the tide just being able to hit a couple shots in the middle of their hot streak that they had. Ray, just to yeah. be clear, when you say a team of Aaron Gordons, you just mean Aaron Gordon relative to his hierarchy on the Nuggets, right? You don't mean actually like the talent level of yeah. if you put That's a bunch of I Aaron mean. Gordons on Team Serbia because I feel like they'd still be playing <laughs> if that were the case. No, it's, it's in that like Aaron Gordon is kind of this perfect – guy who is willing to like accept a role kind of uh-huh. plays um the role that aaron gordon plays more so than like i don't it's going to be hard to find someone with the same athleticism as aaron gordon and even aaron's impressed as a shooter as well uh to be honest so it's uh tough to find those things but to the extent right. okay well if, if it's not aaron gordon i mean who's um not Paul Millsaps, but I, I don't know if there's a, as a clean comparison in, in between, you know, the games, but just guys who can fit in, I guess, and, and play that way. And I think I think about Jokic's last time playing with the national team where he was kind of relegated to being one of the Aaron Gordons more than the Nikola Jokic of the thing relative to each other's play style where he's kind of playing the short corner. He's kind of sidelined in that way. He's being asked to be like, okay, just rebound, you know, make the extra pass. I guess shoot if you're open, that sort of thing. Can I give some some really low-hanging fruit analysis real quick? Go for it. I don't know if you guys ever listened to Titus and Tate. They're a college basketball podcast, but Mark Titus for years has always had this great um, – Shtick, where he points out um, the cliche that coaches use when they're asked, you know, how about a game, like if they lost, like what happened? And a lot of times coaches will just say, well, we didn't make shots. He's like, you got to make shots. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, you're in, the, in the NBA, the saying is make or miss league. Like to me, that mm-hmm. game more than anything was Serbia missed open shots. Italy was making everything. Um, you know, there was definitely stuff Serbia could have done better. But for the most part, I mean, it like was just bombing everything from three and it was going in. And sometimes you just have one of those nights, you know, it's not like the talent gap was so severe that it, it was a crazy upset, in my opinion. I, I mean, I know we had Jokic, but, you know, uh, a game this actually reminded me of was, if you guys remember the, I think it was 2008, the We Believe Warriors team that took out the Mavericks with uh, Baron Davis and Steven Jackson and those guys, you know, that was a kind of a smaller team that was just really quick and shot a lot of threes. And, you know, the Mavericks were supposed to roll in that series and they just got taken out of it. So a lot of differences, but also just similarities in that smaller teams can win in basketball too, you know, that, and I think, you know, it goes without saying, but I mean, the three pointer was invented well before all of us were born, but it was still a big time, revolution in for the change of the game of basketball right i mean if you put that team serbia team in a time machine before the three-pointer was invented they'd they'd probably be one of the best teams in europe so the three-pointer kind of changed like a, the game if you can't make more threes in your opponent you really have to dominate the other areas of the game yeah i mean uh, on some level it kind of introduces this possibility of an act of basketball gods um, and that that's fun, you know, that's entertaining. I mean, I think that's a big part of why people love 
uh, people love college game, people love the international game in this way, and these major cup events. But everyone thinks it's going to be in their favor when it happens, and sometimes it's not. And, and I just think as, as basketball continues to evolve every year, shooting, to me, is still the most important skill in the game of basketball. Um, quick high school story. Uh, we played against the team uh, from Aurora called Smoky Hill, and they were always amazing shooting. They had, like, a legendary coach, and uh, they were always a really small team. But I heard stories that their practices, they didn't really do a whole lot of drills or a whole lot of scrimmage. They would just shoot, like, for hours. And it was apparent because we had, like, we had a really good team one year. We had a big-time match with them. They came into our gym and just smoked us, like, by 40. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, yeah, oh, I my God. I've never seen kids shoot like this, but not even once I think did I think my high school team practice shooting. <laughs> yeah, like we didn't we do had, it that often. Just, no, we ran our sets basically. Our, we practiced our coach's our sets thing was and, like, and we, that's an individual thing. You you focus on that right season exactly. Do that on your own time, you know. And the same way they, they ask you to be like, hey, you should be in shape, et cetera, et cetera. Do that on your own time here, you know. And you what they always say, like at a certain point. They always say the shooting age is the best, right? I mean, look, J.J. Redick, if you look at his basketball reference page, he had a better second half of his career than first half. Like, that's crazy. You know, that that doesn't yeah. happen in a, in a sport where you need athleticism. But, but the shooters, they always tend to age well. Ray Allen played pretty late, too, you know. And, and look, it's Joe Johnson. He's, he's 34 now. Like, he's still at the peak of his powers. You know, I'm really fascinated watching how long can he keep this level of play up. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, hopefully they can engage that part of it a little bit more the next time around. And I, I don't know. I, I think there. I think this is kind of the beginning of an era in the way, in, in some way that um, as much as it's painful, there is a lot of room for better things. You know, they're going to have a lot more opportunities these are, you know, the important players of this team are in their mid twenties, and, and again, we're talking about shooting being something that ages well. So we've got five, 10, 15 more years potentially of, you know, Nikola Jokic playing for Serbian. He might play for the Serbian national team longer than he plays in the NBA. So I, I don't think this is the end of the road, but it's a little speed bump. That's, that's for sure. That's for sure. And I hope my hope is that, you know, he doesn't have too much. He doesn't get too much grief uh, internally. I mean, I'm sure he is the kind of guy who won't feel this like he doesn't worry too much about criticism as a whole. But I think if there's one kind of place that criticism could come from and reach him, I think it would be from from Serbia. I think it would be from, you know, his fans, from the people in his hometown, you know, when he's walking around, who will be like, hey, remember that time? And I think until until he can come back, I imagine that's gonna be, you know, he won't he might not show it, but I imagine that's gonna be something that he's hungry for and wants to come back to and wants to set right, you know. I think he's that kind of guy. For sure. I wanted to ask you guys one thing about the the rules real quick in international ball does it bother you guys where the three-point line is at all do you think it's too close it was funny because that's kind of a conversation that we're having in like the nba right now 
in terms of the size of the court and, and where everything is. Mm, I don't think it matters too much hmm. as long as, because everyone's shooting on the same court to some extent. So if that's the style that they want to have, I mean, I would probably wait until I feel like pushing the three point line back is something that comes with three point percentages being too high. And I don't know if that's true in Eurobasket yet. Right. That's, that's, the oh, basic yeah. I'm, I'm definitely probably just biased based on this one game. But uh, as far as your NBA comment, I'd absolutely want them to expand the court so that the three point line is even all the way around and not shorter in the corner. Or at least, yeah. The, the excuse I keep hearing is the people that propose this is like, oh, the NBA arenas don't have the room to expand enough, and that would like take away row of seats and pundit revenue. So it's like a non-start. Oh no, not but revenue. To me, yeah, to me it's like okay, I I've done the math on this. You don't have to expand it all, all the way to where it's full all the way around. If, if you would just expand the court by two feet, you know, one foot each side, and then put that three-point line back six to eight inches. I actually do think that would make a big difference, at least initially, and a three-point percentage in the corner would go down. I I do have one concern that's not uh, – it's mostly the injury aspect of it, where I think about the kind of rise of the core injury, so to speak, as a product of the sort of lateral distance that NBA players are covering today, especially larger NBA players, and I think – you know, that is a trend that we're going to see happen more and more. It's not to say that I don't want to see the court expanded because I do agree with you. It might even, it'd be an interesting reimagining of the meta of basketball when the corner shot is not this obviously easier shot. Um, but I also wonder if that has an impact on the health of the league. And I wonder if maybe they can compensate for that somewhere else. Maybe that's like a scheduling thing. Maybe they can like, stretch out the season. Maybe they can find a way to just expand expand rosters in a way that they don't need to put as much burden on each individual player. But it's, a, it's something I would think about going into it. So you're worried about more injuries if the courts are expanded? Yeah, just just wider, you know. I mean, especially, if, maybe this is just my bias as a Nuggets fan and our relationship with core injuries, but yeah, I think it's it's part of it. Can I give you a counter to that? Sure. I actually think that there's a lot of plays watching NBA basketball where team has a ball up top, makes an entry pass, post guy makes a dribble or two, corner guy now runs over to double, post player passes back to the corner to the guy that's open, but the guy's able to recover enough back to the corner to where the guy who catches the ball at the three-point line doesn't get the shot up quick enough. And it's like the guy has recovered so quickly but he now either has to dribble or pass it around again to where I think the athletes are good enough shooters now to where if the court is wider and that dude is two feet further back when he catches that ball, he can just rise and fire. And then, you know, maybe he makes it, maybe he misses. But either way, that's now less work for the defense because the shot's going up quicker. So it just would fewer help. fewer rotations, offenses. period. Right, exactly. Fewer rotations. That was my point because it's like it would make harder for the defense to cover more ground. But mm -hmm. the sh you would have to like make you would have to put better shooters on your roster. I don't feel like guys like Tory Craig would be as playable if they expanded the three point line. 
<laughs> um, maybe, and it might be like a generational generational thing too, where players uh, the initial feedback would be rough, right? Until you get guys who kind of came up in that sort of style where they're playing with a wider court in middle school and high school and college overseas went in, into the NBA. Um, and eventually it kind of catches up. I don't think the good shooters would be against it at all. That would help separate them. No, in my opinion, I think they would still so sprint to the corner. Marginally. Marginally. I think so. Um, so do we have any, I, this has been, I, I've had like such highs and, and lows with this whole experience. Um, uh, I just want to say, I'll definitely be. I'll, I'll be back. I, I don't know about you guys, but this has definitely like brought me into EuroBasket as a whole in a way that I haven't been. I think at any point in the past. Right. Yeah, I didn't catch the same spirit of the tournament. It feels like a lot of Denver fans did, which is fine. It's it's cool. I didn't. You know, I don't want to pretend I did if I didn't. But uh, it's good to watch some basketball. That's for sure. I have no problems with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's off season. I, I wish they could coordinate it better. I, I would still love it if the NBA could um, work with work with FIBA, work with just the international community in general. Maybe they have to. Maybe they have to buy FIBA. Maybe they have to just invest in enough to where they get some say. If they could just kind of come together, you know, with them and with Euroleague, and, and they can all kind of organize this in a way where the product is better, and you get the better players, and you get the amount of, of uh, rest that would just produce better outcomes. I think that would be good for the good for the game. I mean, both in the NBA, because a lot of these players are going to come back to the NBA and, and maybe they don't have the same, you know, there's a reason that that Jovic and, and some of the younger guys in the league aren't going to get the opportunity to play uh, in this tournament. Uh, and I think uh, it would be nice if they could continue. I think there's a lot of opportunity if they can hit it right, if they can really put out a product that isn't just for the, the nerdiest of nerds in basketball, if they can kind of reach the, the broader the broader fan, you know? I do like the different versions of basketball. I think it's cool that there's different basketball versions in international play, NBA play, and college. Yeah, the rule differences don't, don't bother me too much. Um, it, it's weird. <laughs> I think about it differently than I do for example, a Canadian football, like, I'm like, what are you guys doing over there? Like, that's, that's, that's weird. Yeah. That always throws you off when you watch that and like the rules are different. You're like, what's going on? Or like the XFL or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, did you guys want to, do you have anything to add before we sign off on, on, uh, I mean, we still have Sylvania. We've still got Vlaco. Oh yeah. Be fun. I'll, I'll still be like, watching. I was, Jared's like, I was done. But it's fine. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, also, before we uh, take a quick break, move on to the next segment, I kind of want to shout out Flaku. Not, not, I, I understand America isn't as big as a lot of, uh, it's not as big as Eurobasket, obviously. It's not as big as the NBA. We sent Norris Cole to you know, America. But I, I'm happy for him that he found some, you know, joy after his, his Nuggets experience. I think that was kind of rough for him. And I don't know if you guys saw this. There's this image of him on the plane with, like, a cigar in his mouth. And I just can't help but feel like 
he's not he's looking directly at the camera but i feel like he's looking at us he's looking at the nuggets community and he's oh. saying hey man i'm good i know who i am i can be you know i, I i'm here i'm successful and i think he's just um, enjoying the moment hmm. oh i think i he, he's enjoying all aspects of the moment and i think that that might be one of those aspects I think Faku, I don't know what his feelings are on the whole NBA experience so far, but yeah, he, he didn't really say anything to indicate that no. he had problems with it. He can't feel he like he got a raw deal. He got plenty of chances. Yeah. He got plenty of minutes. Some, I'm thinking more like the fans, the community as a whole, more than okay. you know, like oh, I'm mad at Jokic or I'm mad at uh, Tim Connolly or I'm no, I, I mean even even that he didn't really give any indication that that was something he was struggling with well his fans did i, I think funk was pretty mentally yeah, tough yeah his fans did, but <laughs> no but no on a serious note i think funk was is like very mentally tough i think that's actually one of yeah, the best, so best attributes i mean he got yeah, a lot of nice faces how many other mm-hmm. like great nba players did we see get pissed off at Faku, but we rarely saw Faku lose his cool no no he knows what he's doing Oh, yeah. he, I think he takes some joy in getting under the skin of his opponents. Hey, can I can I say something that might be controversial? Because I personally really dislike this player. Faku's kind of the Argentinian Patrick Beverly. I don't. I you know. I you know. We almost got back in with Argentina, and I don't know if this is going to be <laughs> a tipping point one way or the other. Um, you can edit that out. <laughs> maybe nope. in some ways, for nope. sure. I think he has more success than Patrick Beverly, and I think that is probably like a bigger difference than anything else. Oh, right. Somebody's going to tweet at me, he's way better than Beverly, idiot. <laughs> please, please do it. I, I support it at Bucketson's 88. <laughs> please come to Peter with all of your all of your uh, counter Faku slander. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, I get, I get the comp, especially relative to I mean, how many guys... Yeah, how many NBA players is there a better comp in the NBA? I guess like Delvadova when he was played, same type of player, right? That's the same comp, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe. I mean, because like the vast majority of players, like players his size, are not don't even have that style. You know, they're you know you think about like Ty Lawson, Muggsy Bogues, like right, Robinson. Right, right. These guys are like much more pure point guard attitude. Which Faku um, had a bit of that with with the passing ability and the desire to spread the ball around yeah but, but they were I, all even like score too of course right it is a guy who's like i'm gonna go for 70 in this game you know i'm yeah, surprised that the, i'm bones. surprised yeah. that the nuggets have never tried to acquire tj mcconnell he seems like the ultimate malone guy to me he does malone would play him maybe that's why right crunch time over jamal murray <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, the community will lose their shit oh, if yeah. that happens. But you know, one night it's going to be like, yeah, I, I, I think you have to. I, I'm all for simplifying Michael Malone's decision decision making process as much as possible with the guys we bring in and how that works. So I'm I don't sure. actually know if I want want TJ McConnell in Denver. But plus, maybe, and maybe it wouldn't be Jamal. It might be like, oh, he's playing him over Bones. Right. You know, I think that might create some ambiguity and that that would be frustrating, I think, to a lot of people. For sure. But um, 
let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, uh, we're going to talk about the latest ownership drama, I guess, in, in the NBA. And we're back. So your boy, not, not our boy, no one here is boy. <laughs> Robert Sarver, owner of the Suns, basically, if I have all this right, has been committing some harassment of his employees, uh, some letting some racial epithets fly. And uh, it's very uncool. And I think people are tired of it enough that he has been outed, basically. Um, I don't boss. know how. Yeah, lots of people. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can relate to that. I think a lot of us can relate to that. So right. uh, he's been suspended for one year from both the Suns and the Mercury, the uh, the Arizona NBA, WNBA team, sorry, I should say. Fine $10 million. And he'll have to go through a basic training program focused on, you know, being a better person to be around. Uh, Peter, I'll throw it to you. Is this like fair? Is this a fair consequence for him? Do you feel? I mean, I know he doesn't agree it's fair, but. Absolutely not. I mean, he was also fined $10 million, which is the NBA maximum fine allowed. Uh, you know, so many emotions when this news first hit this morning. You know, anger, disappointment, um, sort of in the NBA as a whole, right? Uh, and then you start to have to think about all the facts, and it's like, you know, I, I've said for years, like, life becomes a lot easier when you realize that life isn't fair. I mean, rich people, they just have so many advantages, and it's always easier for them to get away with stuff, quite frankly, you know, which sucks because, you know, we do stuff like Can this I? at work, and we're, we're canned, right? So, Do you know um, what I just saw? What's that? Clueless. Yeah? I just saw the movie Clueless for the first time. And at first, I kind of hated it because it was like the most... I don't know if you guys have seen this movie. Oh, yeah. Classic. Oh, yeah. It it is At every point, it just made me like cringe in the way of just how do these... How does how does this exist? How, how are you right. like this? How do we get here? I Right. It just... Uh, I mean, I get it. It's a movie, and, and this is real life that we're talking about. But it it's it, it is just frustrating to, to see the way people can maneuver around consequence um, with with the lubrication that is, you know, finances. Right, and and I think it's always interesting to see like how people are punished based on what position they're in. I mean, we all know about the Donald Sterling incident. You know, right. he is caught on tape and is essentially expelled from the NBA. You know, that decision came pretty quickly and swiftly. A lot of people were happy with that. He still got to sell his team for like $2 billion, So, I mean, he's doing yeah, fine. He's still, yeah, and uh, this one is okay. it seems to be less known, but the Colts owner years ago, Jim Irsay, went on like mm -hmm. a drug binge and like was pretty much pulled over with all kinds of pills and stuff. And I think he got suspended for a year also, and he's still the Colts owner. Um, <laughs> so yeah, rich people, they get away with a lot. You know, we can't be surprised. We can still be upset and talk about it. And I, what I'm looking forward to is just sort of the backlash in the next coming weeks of like important people coming out, seeing what they have to say about it, you know, cause I'm sure the players will get asked about this. And whether it be Suns players in training camp or, you know, other NBA players might just talk about it, you know, 
on their own. But what's going to be interesting is if nobody says anything, then we kind of know that they've all been told like, hey, don't talk about this. It's like bad for business. And as we've also seen yeah. with NBA players, I mean, the bottom line is their their wallet. So that would be sad, but I also wouldn't be surprised if that happens too. It kind of reminds me of, uh, speaking of like the NBA comparison, you know, one of the things that kind of turned me, sorry, the NFL comparison, one of the moments that um, it's almost like a rule of thumb that was imparted upon me from like the Ray Rice incident way back when, like maybe a decade ago now, was that, well, I mean, this may also be true for the NBA as it seems. A lot of times people, these people kind of face consequences more for bringing bad PR on, on the league and on the organization more so than the actual thing they did that like, Hey, Oh, was it, was this on camera? Oh, then it's, you know, consequences are going to be yay high. And I'm putting my hand up to my eyebrow right now. And if you're, you know, if, if it's something that you can quietly kind of uh, set aside and not make headlines about, then it's going to be, you know, yay high. And I'm putting my hand in my knee high right now. Like it's, it's, it's kind of this, perverse dynamic that I think is it's kind of lame. It kind of ruins the integrity almost of the whole process, the whole, the whole league in a way. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking, Ray, we've sort of zoomed out on this topic a lot. I actually want to zoom in real quick and point out that I didn't get hurt at all in this situation. I feel terrible for the people that work in the Suns organization that, had misconduct happen to them. I mean, I'm sure there's been plenty of them that have been that have quit and that don't want anything to do with the Suns or the NBA, maybe. Maybe they've And those you know, are awesome jobs. Gotten you know, different I, I exactly. If you asked me if, you know, I was gonna be an like a ball boy for the Nuggets, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. That would be right. awesome. Just because it's like there are only so many of these sorts of things. And and to have something like that happen, uh yeah, that that's I mean that's probably the bigger, yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's and, the bigger loss here. And that's what's sad, right? Because that's not uncommon where somebody, you know, maybe early on in life has an idea of their dream job. And if they get it, they're excited. And then if it's not what it's cracked up to be, or there's, you know, other factors that make it miserable, you know, that can really mess with the person because one, you're really disappointed and you have to make a change for your own mental health. Or you write it out because you're like, this is my dream job. I'm just going to deal with it. So it sucks either way. Yeah. Or, you know, you just need the job. Right. I mean, I've definitely been in jobs where, like, I've, you know, one for one reason or another, just, like, not been comfortable. And I'm just like, oh, well, yeah, this is kind of lame. And I'm not super comfortable, but I would like to keep this job. So, or, you know, I'd like to pay my bills. I'd like to do all those things. So. And I thought it was it really disappointing how in part of Sarver's theme, and he said, I don't agree with all the findings. So it's like this guy apologized, but did he, does he really like feel bad? Does he really care about what he's done? Like, I, I think he just thinks he is who he's been his whole life and he can get away with most of this. And it's like, Oh, 10, 10 Jared, million dollars. Have you ever gotten the, uh, have you ever gotten the, sorry, you felt offended by what I said? Apology, oh, <laughs> the, the apology, not apology. Yeah, it feels great. It you feel very validated. You you feel like yeah. your feelings have been heard and listened to. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. You feel yeah. like there's going to change. You know. Yep. You're yep. going to do things differently in the future. Yeah. 
Yeah, know. I guess for me, a lot of this situation was the Donald Sterling thing could only happen once. And in my head, I kind of assumed that, but this was kind of proof because I, mm-hmm. who knows how many owners they could kick out if they read the right emails or caught the right video, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not, and it's not even just owners. Right. There's shitty people at all levels of society. But uh, I really do think even if the league wanted to pull the Donald Sterling trigger and and try to force him to sell the team and get out, I would not be surprised if other owners who kind of pushed back on Donald Sterling said, nope, this is the line. We're not crossing it. Well, it's because, yeah. like, yeah, who's next? I mean, right. That's an right. extremely important point, Jerry. Yeah, because, consequences. yeah I, I think this – this is, this is not a defense of Adam Silver and league office, but simply just pointing out what, what their job is. Because, I mean, any hard basketball fan, you know, knows this already. But just to be clear, the commissioner and the league office work for the owners, right? It's not, not like a separate entity and they can just do whatever they want. They need 75% of the vote from the rest of the board of governors to vote somebody out. So with, without saying it, we clearly didn't have that. And this is like where it's a slippery slope because obviously that doesn't mean that they condone what he did, but they don't want to move the goalposts because then they know it opens them up to their own, you know, to more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like an easier chance that they also get in trouble, trouble I guess. Scrutiny, thank you. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it's kind of complicated in that sense. So it just kind of sucks that if you get to that point in life, if you become that powerful that you can have enough money to buy an NBA team, you're kind of above the law in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. In, Especially, in, you know, if fines well, don't scale to your paper, I mean, yeah, for sure. I got a parking ticket the other day, yeah. you know, it was like 500 bucks. And that's something to me. And that's probably, I mean, could you imagine Robert Sarver getting a $100 parking ticket? I mean, he could do that every day for a year and it's not going to be meaningful right. for him. So your suites, your streets would never get swept at all. I don't know. He seems like a guy but, that um, in the middle of the space just so nobody on either side can like, <laughs> Oh, he's a, he's definitely a, a three spacer. It's <laughs> just full, just full horizontal parking. Yep. Just one more reason but, um, to hate the Suns even more, right? Honestly, I don't hate people who park across spaces as long as they park in the back of the lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you park far enough away, I don't care. Did we can't? Did but, we? Did we touch on something here, Ray, with parking? Parking corner. etiquette? No, yeah. no. <laughs> I mean, it's. I well, I get it. Like I park in the back of lots because I don't want people to hit my car, and I don't have a nice car. I just don't trust I people. That did you that. know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I have, I'm very able-bodied. Like I don't mind walking. So um, I did really I see those people. Time I parked like right next to where you put the cart back at the grocery store, and I come back and there's like a huge uh-huh. thing in my car, and the cart's like right there. You can tell someone uh, just like was far away and pushed it, and it just like curved and hit my car. They just thought, yeah, I'm Kobe Bryant of uh, <laughs> of cart pushing. Yeah, right. no, I feel you on that. That's that's basically it. I don't trust people. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I, unless you guys had anything to add, I think we can we can wrap up here. Yeah, I don't have much more on Robert Sarver. I don't think he needs more of our time. No, I don't think yeah, he hopefully, does. Hopefully, we'll have more 
more positive news and more basketball talk next podcast. Yes, this has been uh, Four Mourners uh, signing off for, you know, Ray at Rayvon Hagshaw, uh, Peter at Buckets and 88, and Jarrett still safely, smartly not on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate you listening. You can always find the podcast feed at Four Corner Pod and uh, let us know if you have any feedback, if you have anything you'd like us to cover. And uh, you'll be catching our, uh, we'll be previewing the season not before long uh september 30th there is a preseason game the warriors start the first game and that's in three weeks it's crazy two weeks three weeks something like that so the uh light at the end of the tunnel it's here we're almost there we're almost at basketball we're almost at the i mean is this like the first real full season i mean you know you've got the whole off season now to go into a whole season where nothing is weird and nothing is broken. Right. Yeah. Last season started on time, but they didn't have a full off season last season. So yeah. technically, there were still practicing right. guys with heavy legs last year. Next this year should be the first like normal start to a season with a full off season before it. Right. Right. So I'm pretty. I'm excited. I'm excited. Hopefully, we'll have a lot, as you say, more positive Back things to talk about, more optimistic thing, things to talk about. Yeah. So we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bam, we did it.